0: The Middle East is on fire. You got $3 a gallon gas. The border is still a mess. Lumber has skyrocketed in price. There's a housing shortage. Inflation is on the rise. Everything's cool, though. Everything's fine here on Tony Katz today. Nation of Jake filling in for Tony on this Friday, May 21st, year of our Lord, 2021. 2021. Glad you're here. Glad I'm here. It's always fun to come in for Tony Katz today. Tonycats.com. if you want to join the program here on this Friday, because honestly, I need all the help I can get. I don't like to work very hard on Fridays, so if you want to join the program, you can do that 833-GOT-TONY. Or, if it's more convenient for you, if you're living online on the social media, just go ahead and follow at Nation of Jake on the Twitter, and we can talk about all the ongoings in the world Anything you want to talk about, we can do that today on the program. Yeah, I just gave you a list, a litany of items that are happening, but you wouldn't think things are all that bad. I mean, what? With the Middle East, you've got Hamas going after Israel, Israel defending itself. Folks over here stateside attacking Jews in places like Phoenix, in places like New York and L.A. We're fighting in the street about the conflict uh, half a world away. Uh, there's a lot to be said about now this ceasefire between Israel and Hamas, but very little new to be uncovered about it. We'll do that today on the program. Again, gas, $3 a gallon. And this predates anything about a pipeline that got hacked. You know, the colonial pipeline gets hacked. Apparently, uh, we were okay with paying off the hackers, the ransomware guys. So it's all back and open, but oh, the price of fuel was going up long before that. I waited in line for like 15 or 20 minutes for an open gas tank the other day because everybody freaked out and there had to be a warning. Don't put gasoline in plastic bags or unapproved containers. You saw all the photos, didn't you? Last week, people putting fuel in like uh, Rubbermaid tubs and totes. Oh, so ridiculous. But But these are all things that are going on, but... There's no mean tweets. People right now buying houses in this country, they have to go in and make an offer 20 to 30 percent above asking price. That's upside down. It used to be when you went to go put an offer on a house that you offered 20 percent below asking price. And that that was all kind of uh, unspoken. That you were going to be able to go in with an offer lower than what they were asking because they would ask more. Now, just put your house on the market. It will sell within hours. You'll have multiple offers. You know why? Because people need homes. We've got a housing shortage. People are getting squeezed. Luckily, you can borrow money for uh, 3% right now, but that's going to change. That will change, and it'll get harder and harder. You know why? There's... Such a crunch in the housing markets because lumber is like three times the price it should be. Three times. I talked to a guy who built houses. He said a lumber package for new construction should be about twenty grand. It's about sixty grand now. Three times what normally it would be. But everything's cool. Everything's fine if you if you kind of take the temperature of what's going on. I mean, when when things were happening under President Trump. Things weren't even happening at this rate. Inflation wasn't at this rate. In fact, you had very low unemployment. You had very low gas prices. You had uh, uh, people borrowing money and buying and selling homes, and there wasn't such a crunch. But you wouldn't think that if you read CNN.com or if you got on Twitter. People were on fire because Donald Trump hurt people's feelings. All the things going on right now, Affect people more directly in the wallet with opportunity, whatever it is, it affects you more directly. However, you don't take it as personally as you did with Donald Trump at the helm. Donald Trump's mere presence to people, whether it be in the media or his opponents on the other side of the aisle, they were so infuriated and so incensed just by Donald Trump's presence at the White House, that no matter what he did, it was on fire. Now things are actually starting to light up and, and burn, and people are like, no, that's just, that's just it, because Donald Trump hurt your feelings, and Joe Biden is merely just presiding over what we take for granted. Oh, yeah, things happen. The Middle East is always kind of a mess. Oh, the border's always been kind of a mess. Gas prices have always fluctuated like this. So you're not taking it personally, but, but I do. See, I'm the opposite way. You can curse at me, yell at me, be mean to me, call me names, do whatever you want. Just don't take my money. Just don't take my money. And we're fine. We're fine. Seriously, if you're somebody who's coming to my house like a plumber, and you give me a good price on fixing my pipes, but you're not very nice, I'm fine with it. Seriously, just curse me out, call me an idiot, do whatever you want. Just don't overcharge me. If you you do the work and you you get it done and I don't have to take out a second mortgage, then we're probably okay. See, the opposite is true for most people. Most people, you can take advantage of them. But if you do with a smile on your face, they'll they'll be okay with it. It's a very odd, odd time. Now, look, I'm not blaming everything on Joe Biden. All right. But let's just take like the the gas prices thing. You know, last week I was in line to get fuel. It was like right out of 1979, uh, back during the Carter administration. I'm waiting in this line and people are all freaking out. And mostly they're freaking out because they read about this pipeline hack. And they said, oh, no. And they went out and all filled up their gas tanks at the same time. And that created somewhat of a shortage. It's the self-fulfilling prophecy, so to speak. But before all that, before the pipeline hack, gas was going up. It was going up. I think in 2018, right in the middle of the Trump administration, I saw gas as low as $1.30, dollar fifty a gallon. That was pretty low. That's, that's, that's pretty, it's not as low as it was in the 90s when it went down to like 78 cents a gallon. I was driving around in my Isuzu Trooper 2, and I was like, oh my God, 78 cent gas? Well, give me a Rubbermaid bucket. Come on. So uh, give me a barrel. I'll just get my own barrel of gas, and I'll, I'll mark this up later. Uh, I $1.50 gas, you take that right now, today. It was going up before the pipeline hack, before all that stuff. And it largely has to do with speculators. In the oil and gas industry, they kind of look at what kind of administration is coming in, and what kind of policies are going to be friendly or unfriendly towards us. When the first thing Joe Biden does is shut down the Keystone XL pipeline between Canada and the United States. They're saying, OK, look, he he actually campaigned on shutting down the oil industry. He's taking steps his first days in office to to sign executive orders that are going to hurt our industry. He wants to get rid of gas vehicles by 2030, which is Impossible. He's not friendly to oil and gas, our industries. He's not going to let us go out and explore for more oil. He's going to shut down the drilling on uh, federal lands, or, or he's, he's going to make it tough on us. So, speculators who run the show, they start speculating up. They're saying, hey, look, with all these policies that Joe Biden maybe not even has implemented yet, but policies that are in his view and what he campaigned on, we're going to go ahead and say, hey, Things are going to get tougher. Gas, oil and gas will be in short supply at some point. So we need to start speculating that the price is going to go up. And you know what? It follows suit, the suit. The price goes up. So, yes, it is Joe Biden's fault that gas prices are up. Oh, and people are apologists will go, no, it's just uh, it's just a cycle. It's just how it goes. Well, you're not paying attention. You're not paying attention. Well, same with this stuff that's going over in Israel. Right now, you know, there, there's a ceasefire that, of course, uh, Joe Biden is going to try to take credit for. Of course, that's been in turmoil forever. I mean, very, very little is new. But I, I hadn't read as much about uh, rocket attacks from Hamas during the Trump administration. Now, I know there was some funny business going on in Syria with Bashar al-Assad. I also remember reading about the airstrikes earlier in the Trump administration, and then that kind of went away. Well, ISIS—I didn't really hear about ISIS cutting people's heads off. Uh, I didn't really hear about uh, all the turmoil as much. But then, once you get Joe Biden in office, well, folks over there in the Middle East—they say, "Hey, there's a administration over there who's going to—they're going to have our backs a little more." Than uh, the Republicans, and so uh, they're emboldened to start firing rockets into Israel and killing civilians. And then, of course, the dynamic is always the same again. Much to be said, very little new to talk about. But it comes—it comes down to what Hamas thinks they can get away with, and they think they can get away with just firing rockets over to Israel, and that Israel they're gonna they're gonna respond and. D.C. is going to say, hey, you're a little heavy handed. You know, you, you guys went over there. You you met that with force. That was a little bit uh, disproportionate to what they did. And shame on you, Israel. Shame on you, Israel, because you you have a right to self-defense. But did you have to did you have to defend yourself so uh, vigorously from those rocket attacks? Well, the answer is yes. But the way it gets painted is that Israel's the bad guy. And so, look, I, we'll get into that. A little bit as I understand it. And I'm not one of these guys who is, is knee deep all the time in uh, Israel uh, Palestinian conflict and relations in the Middle East. But I do get questions from people like in my sphere, you know, people who work hard and don't have a whole lot of time to follow the news. They just want it simplified. I'm going to try to simplify it as well as I can for, for you hardworking folks who just have time to dip in every now and again. All right, because this is the same story that's been going on for a long time. And this is just me, a regular guy who's read enough about it over and over again to kind of break it down and and put it simply the conflict that's going on now. Thankfully, there's a ceasefire uh, that the the, the violence has stopped for now until it, it ramps back up again. And it will. And we will try to get to the bottom of that when we come back with the Nation of Jake in for Tony Katz on Tony Katz Today. If you're anything like my wife, then lucky you. That said, she works all the time. I mean, 100% of her attention is required about 60% of the time for her job. And it's it's true with a lot of people. I mean, not everybody has a job like I do. Nation of Jake here in for Tony Katz on Tony Katz Today, where a lot of my job is uh, reading the Internet and reading about the news. Ari Castle, producer of Tony Katz Today, you can, you can relate here. A lot of your job requires reading the news and keeping up with current events, correct? Yeah, a good chunk of it. A good chunk of it. Actually, that's a requirement. I mean, that is, that is probably most of our jobs as uh, talk radio professionals. But people in other professions, like medicine, for instance. My wife is in medicine. She is a pharmacist. She has to... Dial in 100%, give all her attention to helping treat and, and hopefully one day cure cancer. I mean, her job really matters. So she doesn't have all the time in the world to uh, read the Internet, uh, hang out on Twitter and TikTok and, and just do all the stuff that we are, are available to do. So she, like you perhaps, relies on somebody like me to break things down very fast and give her what she needs to know. And I, and I think that that is... A talent, all right? You, you got you to have a talent for making the complex world very simple and bite-sized for people to digest. And that is, that is part of what makes a successful radio host. Now, if you know somebody like that, let me know. I'm not him. Um, but what I like to do is take these things and just zero in on the, the top-line items. My wife, just the other day, she says, hey, Jake, what's going on in Israel? I'm seeing headlines about Israel, a Hamas, a conflict— And I just said, hey, it's the same thing that's been going on since we were kids. You've got a a border dispute. You've got a land dispute. You've got Jews who live in Israel and who have borders of Israel. And they are being attacked by people who don't like those borders. Those borders, by the way, those were the result of a war. All right, And, and, And like it or not, that's how wars work. You, you fight a war, you lose a war, your land gets taken from you. And that's, you know, maybe it's not how we do it anymore, but that's historically how wars work. All right. There was a what, six day war in 1967, and those are now the borders of Israel. And Israel says, hey, look, we have to have the borders like this or we can't defend ourselves against hostile people all around us in the Middle East. Because Israel, if, if you didn't know, I had a chance to go to Israel. I did not go. But I produced some radio shows with my, my, the guy I worked for was in Israel. And it kind of opened my eyes. You would think, like if you're somebody who half pays attention, over in Israel, you would think it would be like an apartheid state. Like uh, Jews and and, and Arab Israelis are not allowed to live together. They're always fighting. It's not true. It's not, it's not true. They work together. They live next door to each other. They go to the same stores. It's, it's actually people living together together. Uh, But there are the political affiliations. There are the governments. There are uh, organizations like Hamas, which, by the way, I'm I'm very careful, say like Hamas, like, you know, make sure that you're saying Hamas is firing rockets, not just people who are Palestinians who live in or around Israel firing rockets at people. This is Hamas, a terrorist organization declared terrorists by Bill Clinton, not W. Not Reagan. Bill Clinton, the Clinton administration, declared Hamas a terrorist group during the Clinton administration in the 90s. And you know what? We're going to treat them as such. So you have terrorists firing rockets into Israel. And Israel, they are not uh, an army. They are not a country you really want to mess with. They've got their Iron Dome missile defense system, and they can defend themselves, and they will. All right? It, 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 The IDF is is not to be trifled with. And if if you shoot rockets over at them, of course they're going to respond in kind. And you don't just like say, okay, how many rockets did you fire and how much damage did you do? We're just going to do the same amount of damage you did to us. No, you respond to a threat in such a way to end the threat, possibly, if you can, forever. All right, read Ender's game. That's the whole point. You fight wars to end all future wars. But instead of letting is Israel defend themselves and eliminate the threat. What happens is the U.S. gets involved and we say, oh, come on, Israel, Israel, you're bigger, you're stronger. You just got to take it. You've just got to take it. You just got to take the rocket attacks, you know, they're going to happen and you just got to take it. Who are we to say that? That if a terrorist organization flew planes into our buildings, what are we going to do? We're going to go in, we're going to root them out. We've spent years and years and years and years doing that, haven't we? But we can say to Israel, look, Israel, you've got the resources, you get the firepower to to respond, not just in kind, but also to to really meet the threat and eliminate it. But you can't do it. You can't do it because how is it covered here? Big bad Israel is the bully. How is that even a a logical conclusion to make? Israel is sitting there saying, hey, look. We're fine. We've got people you know, or Palestinians. We've got Arab Israelis. We've got all kinds of people living in Israel. Here we go. Let's, let's live together. And uh, folks like Hamas are like, nope, nope. we got to eliminate all the Jews. The Jews can't be in Israel at all. It, there, there's no way to build a bridge there. And so every so often, every year, two years, whatever it is, this bubbles up and it fires up and then it dies down and it'll come back up and down. Look. It's good enough for me that Israel is our ally and Hamas is a terrorist organization. I know which side to be on here, all right? It ain't hard. But what about, but what about, yeah, what aboutism? I want to get into that. What is what ism and what is it not? We'll do that next on Tony Katz. You know, politics is really just a series of people making excuses for their guy. It, it, it really is. It's, it's, Very tiresome. I mean, whenever you talk politics with someone, they will always say, but what about, yeah, but what about, what about, what about when Donald Trump uh, uh, put kids in cages? Well, what about when Joe Biden put kids in cages? What about when Obama built the cages? Can we, can we all agree that maybe the, uh, Immigration laws in this country are broken. Like, can we get to the root of it and say, so, yeah, well, what about when your guy did this? Well, what about when your guy did that? It's whataboutism. People get called out for it constantly, sometimes correctly. Sometimes people can identify whataboutism when you're trying to justify a wrong act that is wrong. Like, wrong is wrong no matter what, no matter who does it. You can't justify a wrong act by saying about, what about your guy? Your guy did it too. It doesn't make it okay. Now, there is a difference between whataboutism and calling out hypocrisy. And it's very, very important this day and age to know that difference. For instance, when I say what about, it's usually in reference to, say, a news story that is seeking to call out a politician, whichever politician, whatever side of the aisle he's on. But I think that the, uh, the biggest target you've got even now, even after his administration is over, is one Donald Trump. Because Donald Trump still holds a lot of political power, a lot of political capital, a lot of leverage. All right. And as I was preparing to fill in for Tony Katz today, Nation of Jake here for Tony Katz on this Friday, May 21st, I was looking through Twitter and I saw a tweet about how Donald Trump is charging or has charged some forty thousand dollars to the Secret Service for hotel rooms at his resort Uh, because, you know, the, the post presidency, you get a lot of benefits and we'll get into that in a second. Probably too many. It's it's too luxurious a position. And it, it's 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 too it, it's insane what we will do. Not just for a president, but for a a president who's going to live for another 10, 15, 20 years or depending on how old he was when he took office, right? So it's a, it's a pretty like it's a great gig if you can get it, especially if you're a Democrat, because you're living, you're living it up. You you, you seriously live a lavish lifestyle uh, for being a public servant. All right, so anyway, I see this, this tweet. It's, this, uh, you know, oh, Donald Trump is charging the Secret Service. Well, what about when Joe Biden charged the Secret Service to live in his cottage out back of his Wilmington, Delaware home? Which he did. $2,200 a month. He charged and made money and profited off of the Secret Service protecting him. He gets free Secret Service protection paid for on the taxpayer's dime and gets to make money from rent by charging the Secret Service. Joe Biden did this. Now, I'm not saying that it's right now that Donald Trump is profiting or that Joe Biden was wrong for having profited. I'm saying they're both wrong for having profited. I'm asking, where were you, CNN? Where were you, Jake Tapper, when, when Joe Biden was doing this? That's the what about I'm asking is where were you, where was the report, where was the tweet, where was the inflammatory story, where was the uh, attempt to get people riled up against Joe Biden when Joe Biden, while while vice president, while serving in office, was charging the Secret Service $2,200 a month to live in his little cottage on his property. And again, look, should Joe Biden be forced to have the Secret Service uh, uh, pay rent or be forced to have the Secret Service live on his property? No. However, it might have been a good deal, a better deal than uh, traditional uh, lodging. But should he be making money? Should he be profiting off of it? I don't think so. Should Donald Trump? No. Neither of them should be profiting off of having held office, an elective office, especially having like a built-in tenant who is going to pay. You know, when you own a rental property, which I do, you've got a lot of risk. Well, you've got you've got upkeep, you've got all the expenses, and then you've got people who might not pay you to live there, and they might squat in your, and depending on the laws where you are, you, you would lose a lot of money. So there are risks involved, but there's very little risk when the Secret Service is footing the bill. So it's very lucrative, I guess, to to rent out, your property, whether it's a resort or a cottage but the the point is you can you can think either both are right or wrong, maybe they're both well within their right to make money, maybe maybe they're actually saving money by by having these accommodations, but they're both the same. you get it they're the same they're either right or wrong. one can't be just because one guy does it and the other does not or or both because both do and you where were you? That's my point. It's about hypocrisy of the media. Where were you? There's another another story. Just today, once again, scrolling through the Twitter at Nation of Jake on Twitter is that Donald Trump secretly obtained the information of CNN's Barbara Starr, her phone and email records. That's right. Now that's that's top story on CNN right now. Is that Donald Trump and his administration? secretly obtained CNN Barbara Starr's phone and email records. All right, now this is going to be some sort of big story that, that oh, that's, that's a violation of, of, of her First Amendment. Well, what about when President Obama wiretapped journalists' phones and then uh, got into their laptops? Ask Cheryl Atkinson about that. She'll tell you all about it. Tweet her. She's probably all over this right now. Because President Obama did the same thing. Now, I'm not saying it was right then or it's right now or it's wrong then, wrong now, whatever. It's probably wrong both instances. But where were you, CNN? Where were you? Where, where were you when President Obama wiretapped phones? You probably weren't making as big a deal of it as when Trump does it. That's the what about the what aboutism isn't about what Donald Trump did versus what Barack Obama did because they both did the same thing. The what aboutism is how you are covering it, and they, but here every journalist you, that that's what they'll do they'll deflect they'll go nice what aboutism and they'll try to dismiss it and say oh no that's what aboutism no it isn't it's, it's, it's hypocrisy on your part it's the way that you're covering stuff but all these guys at CNN especially are complete and total hacks um, not only his. Uh, a guy like Jake Tapper, he's, they're not supposed to dabble in politics. They're not supposed to get involved directly in the political process. But I, I think that he was, uh, J- Jake Tapper was caught in some, some private messages to a, uh, a Senate candidate up in Pennsylvania where he's from, trying to, to get involved there. I guess that, that Sean Parnell race, do I have that right? Uh, the, the Connor Lamb and Sean Parnell, th- those are the names that stand out to me, that Jake Tapper uh, uh, got involved in that a little bit try to insert himself in the middle of that, which it lends itself to a conflict of interest. But the bigger conflict of interest at CNN right now is all this stuff with uh, the Cuomo brothers, uh, the, the Cuomo sexual harassment charges against uh, Andrew Cuomo. He meets with his legal team and his staff up there in New York. You know, he's been, he not only has the... Uh, curtain been pulled back to expose the naked buttocks of the Andrew Cuomo administration, having been uh, trying to cover up all those uh, COVID deaths when he put old people back in the funeral, not funeral homes. He put them, uh, eventually he did put them <laughs> in the funeral homes, the, the nursing homes, uh, and they got COVID and they died. Uh, Chris Cuomo not only was reporting on all of that at the time, and they were yucking it up on on CNN. Oh, yeah, hey, we got your uh, COVID swab and his giant, stupid prop. Q-tip, you know, that was like, you know, making fun of his brother because he's got a big nose. Here they are during the middle of a pandemic where thousands of people are dying in New York. Uh, Andrew Cuomo is largely responsible for those deaths, and they're yucking it up with a with a giant prop Q-tip nasal swab. And Chris Cuomo, not only that, he's also like been in on the meetings, the strategy meetings to combat these sexual harassment charges against his brother and that he goes on CNN and and we're supposed to we're supposed to take him seriously as an unbiased news uh, source, journalist, whatever he calls himself uh, when when he's in on his brother's sexual harassment meetings. How can he report on that? How can he be unbiased? And I know he'll go on there and say, well, I won't be reporting on my brother anymore because I, there's no way that I can be unbiased. Like, well, too late. You were already interviewing your brother about COVID a hundred times with a with, as a prop comic, like your your carrot top or something. And then now you, we find out that you're you're in on the strategy meetings to help combat these sexual uh, harassment claims. And by the way, any other governor with as much scandal as Andrew Cuomo would have any self respecting person would have uh, resigned by now. The guy should resign, but he won't. But I think that. Through all this, I think what we're seeing is that Andrew is the Fredo. Isn't he? Isn't, isn't Andrew the Fredo and not, not Chris? Remember when that guy called Chris Cuomo Fredo and and he got, you know, he got all confrontational and, and Chris uh, Cuomo threatened to throw him down some stairs or something like that? But Andrew's the Fredo. Isn't that, isn't that a turn? Isn't that a twist? But yeah, so I say all that to say this. CNN is an absolute dumpster fire right now. CNN, uh their ratings have cratered because they put all their eggs in that Donald Trump basket. They they really did. Not only did they get Trump elected by covering him ad nauseum. I mean, Donald Trump got what would they call it earned media coverage. Yeah, that was that was the phrase that was thrown out there. Uh Donald Trump got like 2 billion dollars in like earned media. Like the he didn't pay for it. It was just the coverage, largely because of CNN. They couldn't stop uh, covering the guy. And then all throughout his uh, administration, they covered him incessantly, uh, sought to inflame to get people really upset, uh, hurt people's feelings. So they keep coming back because people like to get stirred up, whether they admit it or not. And now that Donald Trump's gone, everybody's like, man, nah, CNN, you're, you're irrelevant now. Well, you so kind of did themselves in, didn't they? I mean, they they created the beast, they they suckled at the teat of the mother of the beast, and now they're out without a beast, and they're without ratings. And hopefully, they'll either get their act together, get a new CEO. That Zucker guy's got to go, or they'll just they'll just fade away into nothing, into irrelevance. Like, and then they'll come back. There'll be a big comeback story. Like, uh the old. Old Tim Tebow story that's going down. I want to talk Tebow for one minute. Fine, we'll talk about Tim Tebow. I, I don't know that how relevant Tim Tebow is himself. Uh, Tim Tebow, just so you know, uh, Heisman Trophy winner from the University of Florida. He had a cup of coffee in the NFL. I think he won a playoff game with Denver. Very controversial. Tim Tebow, he's very Christian. He always took a knee. Not, not in the same way that Kaepernick took a knee, but he took a knee. And people are always like, oh, he's Tebowing. He's, he's doing his... Uh, you know, Christian kneeling stuff, and he became kind of a lightning rod. Well, he's he's making a comeback, and a lot of people are saying that Tebow's chance to come back to the NFL is is all about his white privilege. Hmm. I'll I'll tell you why that's probably not the case when we come back right here on Tony Katz today. I want to talk Tebow for one minute. Oh, John Morgan gets his wish. Finally. Tebow is one of us. Tim Tebow. Yes, that Tim Tebow is officially a member of the Jacksonville Jaguars. All right, look, I I don't know. You're probably a Colts fan. You're probably really knee deep in their offseason moves. But this is the big story in the NFL is that Tim Tebow from University of Florida, and then he was a quarterback for a hot minute Tebow was a Denver Bronco where he had most of his success. All right. He won one playoff game. He was, he was not your, your prototypical NFL quarterback. Let's just say he, he was big and strong, but his arm wasn't very accurate. And people didn't ever really project him to be a good NFL quarterback. He, he relied on a lot of running, a lot of his strength and agility, and his speed there at University of Florida. And a lot of people, when he came into the league in 2012, said, hey, He's big and strong, and he's an athlete. He should be a tight end. Well, that's what's happening now. Tim Tebow will pretty much get a tryout. I mean, he's been signed to a one-year deal, but those deals aren't guaranteed in the NFL, and he'll get a shot to try out, finally, at, at tight end, which has become more of a glamour position in recent years with, you know, the Gronkowskis, the Travis Kelseys of the world, Jimmy Graham, you know, you've got, you've got a lot of high-profile tight ends, being more of a, a, a wide receiver type of position. And here's the thing. Maybe he's more of a blocking guy like Aaron Hernandez was without all the murder, hopefully. And and maybe he's uh, big enough and strong enough and fast enough now, even at age 33 to do it. But a lot of people are, are pointing to this saying, Oh, well, you got Tim Tebow. He's been out of the league for, for nine years and he gets a chance to make a comeback. Uh, Meanwhile, another former NFL player who takes a knee on the field, Colin Kaepernick, He's not getting a chance to play. Must be white privilege. It must be because Tim Tebow's white. That's why Tim Tebow gets another chance. And that is nonsense. And I'll I'll tell you why. Tim Tebow is getting this chance because he's going to take a minimum salary and he's going to go try out for a team. And he happens to know Urban Meyer, for whom he played at University of Florida. So it's more of like he's got an in. And let's not forget the fact that Tim Tebow is a star. He's a guy who's going to sell some tickets, sell some jerseys. Now why not give him a shot? I mean, it's not like you got to keep him if he's terrible. Uh, if, if Colin Kaepernick was willing to take a, a league minimum job or a backup role, he'd have a job. He would have had a job. Pretty much it comes down to this. One guy wants to play football and the other guy doesn't want to play football. There's, there's no real upside to Colin Kaepernick playing football, not for him. He's going to make more money and have more opportunity doing his social justice stuff if he remains, quote-unquote, blackballed or colluded against. I mean, I know that he won some sort of settlement from the NFL for all that, and he's probably not allowed to talk about it. Uh, that said, one guy wants to play football and the other guy doesn't. And yes, look, a guy like Tim Tebow, who is as big and as strong and as athletic as he is, He's going to get more chances than you or me. People always say this. Watch Tim Tebow get a chance to play for the Mets. He did. He played minor league baseball. You know why? Because he's strong. He's athletic. He had enough experience in high school playing baseball. He went out there. He wasn't the greatest ball player, uh, but, he, but he went out and he competed. and He worked hard. You know He didn't look for any special treatment. They, they did let him host his little SEC show. Which was kind of like an exception that was made that I didn't think was, was really necessary. They should have said, Hey, you're either here and you're on the team and you're working to be an M L B player or you're not. So yeah, look, some people get more chances than other people. It's a lot has more a lot to do with who you know and what you bring to the table than the color of your skin. That's just that's just the truth. All right, coming up, what do we got? Oh, we haven't even got into this yet. Vaccine hesitancy. What's the story and why has the vaccine become so political? That's coming up next with Nation of Jake on Tony Katz today. To vaccine or not to vaccine? That is the question. It's not a question with me. I got my first shot just the other day of the old Pfizer vaccine. I'll be getting another shot very soon but there are those who are hesitant uh i was not hesitant i was just lazy i was like hey i hadn't really driven by a vaccine i will t- i'll tell you the story about the old vaccine here coming up on tony Katz today nation of jake in for tony also ari Cashel is here producer of tony cats today now as i recall ari you got vaccinated but you got the the one shot deal the one shot dose of the johnson and johnson right that's right all right. And did you get the Johnson and Johnson vaccine before or after the report about the blood clots and they paused it? After. After. OK, so you took your chances. Yeah, I, I felt comfortable with it. OK, you know, and, and, that's, and that's fine. Look, everybody has to assess this for themselves. You're getting a new vaccine that I won't say was rushed through. But a lot of the barriers were taken down. I think they should have been. I don't think there should be as many barriers. I think that the clinical trials should move at the pace that it's supposed to move. Uh, The fact that we've got all this red tape, it it slows down the process quite a bit. And that makes people feel a little bit better about it, I guess. Look, I don't really have vaccine hesitancy. And that's, that's proven by the fact that I've already got it shot in my arm. All right. And I'd be a liar if I said, you know, I would be first in line to get it. Well, listen, a lot of people have gotten this thing and there have been a few uh, adverse reactions. You know, we've we've read about the, the blood clot thing with the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. But I don't think that even rose to the level and justified the pause. They scared everybody about it. And I, and I, I can't help but All of this is is political. It, it, it is 100 percent political. And I guarantee you and this is going to make people mad. Uh, Some because some people are very serious about what they put in their bodies. Other people, not so much. I mean, I know people who eat fast food all the time and they drink Diet Coke and they drink monster energy drink. And you have no idea what is in those things, I mean, to be honest with you. you know People who drink the, the Four loco and the Twisted Teas and any all the processed garbage people put in their bodies. And they want to turn around and go, I don't know what's in that vaccine. It's like, you don't know what's in any vaccine. You don't know. Well, they say uh, aluminum, thalidomide, whatever it is. You, you don't even know. You line up. You take the vaccine. Uh, but I, I, I'd, I'd be a liar if I didn't say I let my wife get it first. You know, she, she's in health care, so she had the opportunity to get it a little earlier. And she's been okay. She's been fine, a little irrational at times since getting the vaccine. But then she's, she's my wife. She's going to be irrational. Uh, I am totally 100% good after the first shot that I got. And I was only going to get the Pfizer vaccine, by the way. I wasn't going to get the Johnson & Johnson. No offense, Ari Castle. But it's not as effective as the Pfizer. The Pfizer was like 95%. Moderna was like 94.5%. I wanted... Either the most effective vaccine or the one with the most chance that I would like get some sort of like lizard power. Like I wanted to, to regrow any kind of like limb I might lose. I don't think that that's going to be a side effect. I only uh, I wish. Uh, that said, a lot of people are hesitant. And people are saying, I'm, I just won't take it. I just won't get it. And I don't want to. And more power to you. I mean, if, if you don't want to get the vaccine, I, I don't care. I'm probably not going to be around you. Not not because you didn't get the vaccine, just because most people I know are are fine with getting it. Um, that said, the the political aspect of this is the most fascinating because this is a vaccine that was developed with the help of Operation Warp Speed. All right, this was probably uh, one of Donald Trump's biggest wins, biggest accomplishments was breaking down these barriers uh to fast track this vaccine and that this vaccine is now you know it's been proven effective in the clinical trials and you know you got dr fauci who is saying that if we get 70 percent of people vaccinated we probably won't have a, a big surge in the fall and they're saying you might have to get a booster later they're working on a on a pill uh to combat coronavirus or to to uh, a vaccine pill so uh, things are moving along very fast, and and Donald Trump can take credit for Operation Warp Speed. Now, stay with me here. Before the election, you had Kamala Harris, who is now Vice President, saying that she would be hesitant to take the vaccine, any vaccine that Donald Trump was involved with. If you recall, and now it's the opposite. It's people who who voted. For Donald Trump, it's a lot of Republicans who are hesitant to take the vaccine. If, could you imagine if Donald Trump had won the election in November and was in his second term, it would be flip-flopped. It would absolutely 100% be flip-flopped. People who are Trump supporters would view it as this is Donald Trump's vaccine and Donald Trump wants me to take this vaccine, so I'm going to take the vaccine. And you would have people who are Democrats who hate Donald Trump saying, no, I will not take any vaccine that Donald Trump had anything to do or is getting credit with having helped develop. And they would be the ones who were and they would do the same thing because we've seen this before. Okay, we've seen all kinds of people be anti-vax, haven't we? No, we've seen the the folks who were uh, more conservative and uh, maybe rural and they're they're they. They don't want, they don't want any, any government mandates on vaccines. They don't want, you know, you can't, you can't force me to get a vaccine. Uh, there's some people with religious exceptions. And there's also some people who are the, the uh, overeducated uh, white liberal elites in California who, who don't want the vaccines. Uh, the kind of ladies who say, no, 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 no. We're, we're going to uh, trade diseases. There were people online trading diseases. You know, like back in the day, you know, I remember when I was a kid, and this is a, this is a great generational theme because Ari Castle, you're not that much younger than me, Well you're younger enough to where when you were a kid, you probably got a vaccination for the chicken pox. Nope, I just had it. Oh, so you just had it. Okay, so you're, you're old enough to where you just had it. Because back in the day, we used to get chicken pox. And if a kid on the, on the block down the street got chicken pox... All the moms would send their kids to go play with that kid to get chicken pox just to get it out of the way. so oh, you got chicken pox? oh hell, we got to go down there and get that because we haven't had it yet. and so you'd go down there, you'd hang out with a kid with chicken pox, then you'd get chicken pox and you'd be laid up for a week itching, and then you'd have it and then you were you were done because you only get it once or if you're lucky you, you only get it once and now fast forward there were like a group of women. And I read about this online years ago where instead of getting their kids vaccinated with this new chickenpox vaccine or the shingles vaccine or whatever it is, cause it's part of the same, uh, the same uh, disease, the same strain they were having their kids like with chicken pox, like, uh, you know, eat a sucker and then sending the sucker stick to other moms who wanted their kids to get chicken pox. So instead of having you go down like, People, because there was a vaccine, the kid down the block probably didn't have it. So you had to find a kid on the Internet and get their mom to, like, have them lick a, a, a sucker and then stick it in a plastic bag and send it through. They were sending diseases through the mail is what I'm saying. And these were people who were like, no, I'm super educated and I, I vote Democrat. So it, it, it's not a, a red and white thing, but it is a political thing. You know, depending on, oh, did the guy I vote for have something to do with this or did his opponent have something to do with this? So, I mean, am I am I wrong here? Ari, what, what do you think? Do you think if Donald Trump was still president? That Donald Trump would have all his folks, he'd go on and say, uh, get the beautiful vaccine. It's a beautiful it's, it's because of me. Go get it. Well, yeah. and I, I think they would go out and get it. I th- more so than if Biden was president. Yeah, if I was a betting man, probably. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's very odd. Because, you know, we're, we're but but then you've got the folks. I think Democrats are going all oh, there's all these rubes, all these idiots who won't go get vaccines. I'm like, you know what though? I can't help but think that if Donald Trump was president and telling people to get vaccinated, that you would be on the other side saying, "I'm not doing anything that man tells me to do. I don't want to get vaccinated." I I think that the reverse is also true, and so. You know, we talk about following the science, but, you know, people only say that when it benefits them. It really, and Honestly, following the science, the CDC has been all over the place with this. With, so people are hesitant to take the vaccine because the CDC's messaging is terrible. Over the past year, during this pandemic, the CDC has changed message so much. Dr. Fauci has been all over the place. We've gone from, initially, Dr. Fauci says, don't wear a mask. You've all seen the clip. You've all heard the audio. if If you want to, I'll pull it up. We'll play it a little bit later. Where he says, you know, a mask is not perfect protection. You're still fiddling with it. It gives you a false sense of security. It's probably best not to wear a mask. You know, it might drop a block, a droplet or two, but it's it's not it's not the the level of protection you think and that you probably shouldn't wear a mask. We went from that. Don't wear a mask to not only wear a mask, but maybe wear two masks outside. And then the CDC said, if you get vaccinated, you can take your mask off outside. And that wasn't going to work to incentivize enough people to get the vaccine. So they're like, okay, how else can we incentivize this? Uh, All right. You don't have to wear a mask. if You're vaccinated. It's like, wait a second. Just in in the matter of a week, you went from this very cautious—you can't wear you, you don't have to wear a mask outside—to you don't have to wear a mask anywhere. It's like, how is that scientific? And just like you, three weeks before that, or a month before that, uh, President Biden was calling Governor Abbott of Texas a Neanderthal for dropping a mask mandate. So nobody's really following the science. Follow the science is only something that is parroted by people who have an agenda. And they'll follow the science unless unless I disagree with the science <laughs> and then don't follow the science anywhere. Uh, then, you, then you were blinded with science. So um, I'm not vaccine hesitant. I, dra- I dragged my feet a little bit. I just wanted to see. And I could. I just sit in my house all day. And I'm, I'm you know, I was on the list for the vaccine. And then my healthcare provider said, hey, you're eligible for the vaccine, but don't call us. We'll call you. And they just never called me. So finally, I was like, I'll just go to this Walgreens. They're saying there's no line. Let's just go. So I got the shot. I'll get my next one, and I'll be all uh, vaccinated up. But if I get the lizard powers, I'll tell you about it. And, and we'll, we'll, <laughs> that'll be a whole series of shows, maybe a new career for me. Good old lizard powers. What do we have next here on Tony Katz today? Oh, yes. Oh, more, more from CNN. They're out of control. They are now accusing Senator Ted Cruz of being anti-military. We'll talk about that with Nation of Jake on Tony Katz today. All right, the latest from CNN.com. In addition to all their inflammatory stories about Donald Trump profiting off of the Secret Service, which Joe Biden did as well. I don't remember the the big stories about that on CNN.com. Also, Chris Cuomo He was in on some strategy sessions about his brother, Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York's uh, sexual harassment charges, allegations. Uh, CNN is a dumpster fire. It's a complete mess and a joke. And they've got no ratings. They don't have even the ratings of the far-flung Tony Katz radio network here on Tony Katz today. Nation of Jake in for Tony. Glad you're here. Hit me up at Nation of Jake on the Twitter. You will also see on twitter and i will retweet it so you can find it easily the latest marketing campaign from the u.s army now i used to just be hey give me some god smack songs show some army guys you know kicking ass and tell me i can be all i can be in the army right well it's a it's taking a little bit of a different tone uh this day and age here in 2021 in the army marketing campaign here we go begins in california With a little girl raised by two moms. I also marched for equality. I like to think I've been defending freedom from an early age. To marry my other mom. With such powerful role models, I finished high school at the top of my class. And after meeting with an Army recruiter, I found it. A way to prove my inner strength. I'm U.S. Army Corporal Emma Malone Lord. And I answered my call I mean, it's a, it's a very interesting uh, marketing strategy is marketing the army and enlistment to, to, to folks who uh, view themselves as freedom fighters in the streets, protesting in favor of uh, gay marriage or Black Lives Matter, or having two moms in the Bay Area. Look, I understand you're probably going to get the guys already who want to be in the army uh, from a young age or join the military because that is a viable option for them. And maybe you're just trying to expand they're trying to expand outward and recruit people who normally wouldn't think to join the armed forces. I get what is behind all this. Well, you know, some people are uncomfortable with woke army ads. One of those people is Senator Ted Cruz. Now, Ted Cruz is well in his right to have an opinion on the way the army is being marketed. All right. And it's really odd to think this. But look, every time you go to a ball game and there is some salute to the troops or, you know, even when there's like a homecoming and they reveal that somebody has come back from deployment and they surprise people. A lot of that is bought and paid for as part of a, an ad buy by the U.S. Army. And so and, and, I, and I hate that because it kind of makes you feel dirty that a lot of this stuff is just staged for money. Uh, but it is. Look, Ted Cruz, uh, the senator from Texas, you know, one of the most visible members of the Senate, uh, he 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 criticized it on Twitter and he's well his right to do so. Look, I, I get it. You, you don't market your product to somebody who's already going to buy it. You try to expand. I, I get why the army is doing this. It's a little weird. It's a little odd. It seems, it seems like a little much, a little over the top. You know, the story of, the, of the, the army officer who was raised with two moms. It is probably a true story. It's just a, a maybe that's the whole point is to take, hey, you think this of the army? Uh, well, don't you expand your horizons a little bit. So I get the ad. Ted Cruz doesn't. He doesn't like it. He thinks it makes the army look like they're woke pansies. Those are his exact words on Twitter. But it's a little bit of a stretch to try to paint Ted Cruz as anti-military. Is it not? I mean, do we really have to go through this whole charade? Look, Ted Cruz, he doesn't like the army being marketed as this, you know, more uh, progressive leftist kind of organization. He just doesn't like it. That's fine. But to try to paint him as anti-military, that he's attacking the military, that is a little bit silly. But that's just it. That's that's politics. It's like, oh, you're you're attacking the troops. You hate the military now because you didn't like this, this commercial that they came out with. Well, yeah, it's kind of weird that the army has commercials. And it's kind of weird that uh, prescription drugs have commercials. It's kind of yeah, it's kind of weird when you adhere our uh, United States armed forces to this marketing machine. Whether it's on your know, TV, on Twitter, at at ball games, it's almost like we've lent it to this whole big business, the military-industrial complex. All of it, all of it. Well, that said, it's probably the most lucrative one. You think about it. You know, with this whole Israel-Hamas conflict, you know, one of the big well, uh, uh, controversies now is that there's a seven hundred and thirty five million dollar or what, what's the number? There, a boatload of weapons to be sold to Israel in wake of all this uh, conflict over there. Uh, this this recent ceasefires kind of put bedded it down a little bit. But hey, I'm, look, we are trillions of dollars in debt, massive deficits. I mean, if we're going to do anything, we should be selling two things, weapons to our allies and vaccines. That's what we should do. We should be a major exporter. We already are of weapons to our allies. Not just I'm not talking about just the enemies of our enemies. That doesn't work out so well to our allies. We should supply weapons and to this to vaccine there are a lot of places in the in the world that need it. We need to get enough people vaccinated. What do you say? 70 percent. Yeah. And once we get there, then we can start uh, exporting all that stuff and maybe go back to exporting oil. Like maybe do that. That would be, I think, uh, beneficial for the country. But again, Ted Cruz is not anti-military because he doesn't like the new Army commercial. I'm going to retweet that. You can go follow me at Nation of Jake. I'm in for Tony today. Be with you until 3 o'clock. More coming up. Oh, I've got it. I have the definitive illustration of how ineffective the government really is. I'll share that with you. Coming up in just a little bit here on Tony Katz Today. Oh no. Ted Cruz is really not going to like the Marines' new slogan. Oh no. The, the Marines, it used to be, we're looking for a few good men. Now they've changed it. This just in, it is now, we are looking for a few good men or women or non binaries. That's it. That's what the Marines are going with. I'm not sure now. If, if Ted Cruz doesn't like that, is he anti military? I don't know. I'm, I'm kidding. By the way, that's not even on the Marines' radar to do any marketing to non-binaries. I don't I don't know how that would even work. I'm not even sure I understand the whole non-binary thing. I just read the other day that Demi Lovato, uh, who's... I know that she sings songs. I don't know what songs she sings. Ari, do you know Demi Lovato songs? Uh, I know Heart Attack. Is that, is that... Okay, she's the artist who performs Heart Attack. Uh, she has changed her pronouns to they, them. Okay, and I'm not educated enough on the situation to uh, opine, but uh, she's non-binary now. Ari, do you know what that means? Uh, that uh, they don't identify as male or female. Right. That they're so special that they can't be defined by what everybody else uh, largely defines themselves as. So that's, uh, she's very special. She's famous. Why wouldn't she be non-binary? You know, she's just more of an idea. Than anything else is Demi Lovato. Uh, again, heart attack. She's Ari knows this. I do not. I know Metallica songs. Already knows Demi Lovato songs, if that tells you anything about us. Just, just putting that out there. Um, I, I told you that I have the definitive example of the government being flaccid and ineffective, and I'm going to tell you what that is in a minute. All right, This is something that affects us all, so I, I definitely want everybody to, to call your friends and, and let everybody know that I'm about to tell you uh, why the government is so ineffective and exactly how it's all encapsulated in one thing that affects us all, all right? Now maybe we can learn uh a little bit about you know uh the the army's latest ad uh through this uh this wokeness Ted Cruz is in trouble because they're saying he's attacking the military for being woke. Uh but pretty soon we're all going to be woke, aren't we? Uh this critical race theory. I know Tony's been on this a little bit. I guess some of the uh, schools in the area uh around the country really are are talking about introducing this critical race theory into the curriculum of, of uh, local schools. I know some private schools are adopting it, uh, some public schools in some places. I know uh, around where I live, south of Atlanta, in suburban Georgia, there's really no talk of this. I don't, I don't think anybody is introducing critical race theory into the curriculum around here. So I'm really not that worried about it. Uh, that said, I, I guess um, critical race theory kind of functions on the premise uh, that America was, was founded on white supremacy and uh, whites, because of their inherent whiteness, are evil and racist, whether they realize it or not. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong there. You can tweet me, at Nation of Jacob. I have critical race theory, all wrong. But I think that's what it boils down to. And you know what? It reminded me of something I saw, I think, last year. Uh, it, it may have been last year or, I mean, not quite a year ago. The Smithsonian has a uh, museum, uh, the museum, of African American history and, and they put out this um, infographic I guess you would call it it's, it's it's a it's a graphic it's a picture it's a JPEG uh, and you can find this online it's everywhere the internet is forever you can't just take things down and expect that they're not accessible to to people um, this is a infographic that is outlining what is called the aspects and assumptions of whiteness and white culture in the United States all right. And it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you some of these captions from this infographic. Uh, it starts out like the, the whole topic is white dominant culture or whiteness refers to the ways white people and their traditions, attitudes and ways of life have been normalized over time and are now considered standard practices in the United States. Essentially, the United States was founded on whiteness. And since white people still hold most of the institutional power in America, we have all internalized some aspects of white culture, including people of color. So you as a person of color, if you are, have internalized whiteness and white supremacy without even knowing it. So if you do these things or you value the following things, you are a victim of whiteness. Or are you yourself a white supremacist or you have just been uh, taking whiteness as the norm because it's been normalized here in the United States? And it's all these things, honestly, like if if I were somebody who was easily offended, I don't even think I could be offended by this stuff. Uh, Really, look, it says here the, the first entry in this aspects of whiteness infographic from the Smithsonian is rugged individualism. Uh, the individual is the primary unit uh, Focus on self-reliance. Independence and autonomy is highly valued and rewarded. Uh, individuals assume to be in control of their environment. So, empowerment of the individual, individual liberty, the individual being sovereign, that's not only, you know, one of the founding principles of the Constitution and of the United States is individual liberty. It's also whiteness. So, if you value those things, you are internalizing white culture. Hmm. Interesting, because I value all of those things, and I don't take any kind of offense. I don't don't think those things are bad at all. I think those are all very good things, objectively, regardless of race. Those are good things. Family structure. Here we go, the next entry. The nuclear family, father, mother, 2.3 children, is the ideal social unit. I don't know, a, a, a third of a child doesn't sound very good. That, that said, yeah, just the, the nuclear family. Husband is the breadwinner and head of household. Well, <laughs> I mean, traditionally, sure, not always, of course. You no, know, my household, I, we, we would collapse if not for my wife. Uh, wife is homemaker and subordinate to the husband. That's half true. I'm more of a homemaker, but my wife is subordinate, okay? Make no mistake, she can hear me. Sorry, sorry, babe. And then children should have own rooms and be independent. I don't know. Have your own room. I never had my own room growing up. I shared a room with like two or three brothers sometimes. Uh, emphasis on scientific method is the next. Again, all these things, which, which seem pretty normal, traditional across all people in America in general. And I guess that's the point is they're saying that oh, all of this is whiteness, though. Um, how about this? This is whiteness. Emphasis on a scientific method. Objective, rational, linear thinking. So white, <laughs> so white. Cause and effect relationships, quantitative emphasis. They're, they're saying that the that, that science is white. To be sci- to follow the science is to to be acting white. And is it? This is bonkers. This is bonkers. But this is in line with this critical race theory. And, and honestly, like if if I come in. And I started saying, hey, look, all you kids, you don't even know it, but you've been infected with the whiteness, whether you're white, whether you're black, whether you're brown, you, you are just, you've been inundated with whiteness. And it's all these horrible things like science and self-reliance and family. And you're just like, wait, what? Uh, next on the list, Protestant work ethic. Um, the tenets that hard work is the key to success, Uh, You should work before you play. And if you didn't meet your goals, you didn't work hard enough. Well, that's, you know, that's a little bit rigid. It's a little bit hardcore. You know, sometimes things go wrong. Sometimes you work very hard and don't attain your goals. But the whole idea is to go and work hard and be your best and give your best and be proud of your work. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, honestly, this kind of works backwards. Man, if I'd i be angry, I would be mad. Say if I were non-white, I'm like, wait, all this positive stuff, all this success, all this self-empowerment, like you're saying that, that I, 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 as a non-white, I, I shouldn't think this way because that's really it. Honestly, this is, this is one of these things you experience, especially having grown up in the South. All right. And I'm just a couple of, of generations removed from some really racist folks. Okay. I'll admit it my grandfather, he was racist. My father, not so much. Pretty amazing. My dad, uh, isn't a racist, even though that, you know, his, his dad was was pretty racist. And it's all, that's probably because his dad was very racist. And, you know, we grew up in the South. Um, you, you'll have like the, some boomer uncle who thinks he's being funny when you do something polite, hold a door for him or, Hey man, you, uh, you left your keys. Here's your keys. And this, this boomer uncle who's still kind of racist, he might say something like, wow, that's mighty white of you. And that's like, whoa, that was unnecessary. That makes me kind of uncomfortable. You probably shouldn't say that. Uh, that's exactly what this infographic is saying. This whole infographic that says, hey, all these positive things that are valued by whites. That's mighty white of you. Think about it. Future orientation, another entry on this aspects and assumptions of whiteness and white culture. Planning for the future, delayed gratification. Progress is always best. Tomorrow will be better. So optimism is white, is an aspect of white culture. You, if if you're if you're, you know, told to be an optimist and look on the bright side of things. Oh yeah, thanks, whitey. Mm, how white are you? This is my favorite time. That's right. Time following a rigid time schedule, being on time, time viewed as a commodity. Time is money. Times a wasting. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your time. Huh? What a white way of thinking. What a what? This is offensive is what it is. But this is kind of the backbone of what is being proposed in in a lot of schools. And here's what the effect is going to be. The effect is going to be regular folks who value all of this stuff, whether it's embedded in a white culture or not, or just, you know, uh, you read any self-help book written by anyone, whether they're white or black or other, they're going to, they, they are going to include a lot of this stuff. All right. Most of it that you have an internal locus of control and you should be in control of your destiny, of your fate. You're an individual. You should be free thinking and independent, all of those things, there's a the marks of successful people, regardless of color in this country. And if you just say, well, nope, that's that's whiteness, and that you are pushing your white agenda and your white supremacy on people, if you're taught that from an early age, I mean, you, you're saying, hey, I, I can, I'm I absolved of, of any of these things. I don't have to do them. That's your, that's your white culture. I, I won't view time as a commodity. I'll sit there and waste all my time. Now, I won't go have a family. I won't go build anything. That's that's white people's stuff. Don't push your white agenda on me, whitey. That's not a healthy uh, uh, learning environment. Number one. It, two, it's just wrong. The whole 1619 project that all this critical race theory stuff and this curriculum is based on is is largely garbage, ahistorical garbage. And, and then what are you going to have? You're going to have people who are going to say no. I'm not sending my kid to this school. We will homeschool or find a private school or some other kind of educational institution that is not going to force this stuff on my kid. And then so you're going to take a lot of kids that have parents who want to be involved and take them out of the school system. The uh, the money that the state and federal government gives to schools, they give that based on how many students are enrolled. You're going to hurt enrollment. You're going to take a lot of the good kids and families out of the schools. And what are you going to have? You're going to have a bunch of garbage being taught to kids who don't really have the support system who who don't don't have those parents to go hey 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 I know what you're learning in school but a lot of that is garbage I went to school they teach you a lot of garbage they taught me in school that there was a hole in the ozone layer and if I went outside I was going to be vaporized I mean that's essentially what they tried to scare me into hey hey don't don't spray that aerosol can. The hole in the ozone layer is going to find you one day and you're going to get get uh, toasted like uh, Thanos snapped his fingers and you're going to be dust. You you, you learn an awful lot of garbage in school. Uh, I learned of some serious garbage just yesterday. All right. I talk a lot about the ineffectiveness of government, you know, and you can apply this to, I mean, hell, just the whole thing being upside down financially, Um, But but there is one there's a microcosm and I think it sums up the flaccid ineffectiveness of the federal government. And this is something that you deal with every day. And I hope that I can I can just do my small part to save you from this horrible, horrible inconvenience that you suffer every day. And I'll tell you all about that coming up right here with Nation of Jake on Tony Katz today. The federal do not call list encapsulates all the ineffectiveness and flaccidness, flaccidity of the United States government. It really does. I mean, we, we have a do not call list and you register your number of the do not call list and you're not supposed to get all these spam calls and all these robocalls. calls. So I've been getting like more. I've been getting so many spam calls. I had to go to the do not call list to see if I was registered anymore. And it turns out I was registered, you know, when I was registered for the do not call list in 2006, I've been on the do not call list for 15 years and I've been getting more and more. I think somebody has been able to get a hold of the federal do not call list and then sell it to these scammers. But then you read more and you find out, oh, hey, the do not call list, even if you're registered, it doesn't keep scammers or robocalls from calling you. It keeps legitimate businesses with legitimate offers from calling you that. So really, it comes down to only people who abide by the law are going to follow the do not call list. It's it's amazing. So I've been actually going to the do not call list to report some of these calls you know, they, I, I don't need all the spam. You guys get it all the time, right? I mean, all the time you get spam calls and robocalls. You know, sometimes you, you, you need to get calls from unknown numbers. I've gotten to the point where I'm just not even answering the phone at all. Like legit calls. Like that I, I should be expecting. I'm like, I don't know who this is. So I never, because of all the calls I get. So I've been going on the do not call.gov website and lodging my complaints. I want to share a couple with you. Uh, They've got like a a box where you can elaborate on the calls you're getting. Um, I got one here. I say a man named Eric Wilson called from the company U.S. Health Medicare, and he called to inquire about my Medicare plan. I told him I do not have a Medicare plan. I told him I was on the federal do not call list. He said, you're not on the list. Eric was a total butt muppet. Please fine him heavily. That was my note to the federal government. Here's the thing. They won't. They won't do it. They'll do nothing to him. It does nothing. It's like, it's like gun laws, you know, gun laws only apply to people who will follow them, not the criminals. I've got more on this. I've been going at it with the do not call people, but that's it. It's a do not call this people. The people who let commercials be way louder than your TV programs. All right. We will come back, talk more about vaccine hesitancy, Israel and Hamas. They have reached a ceasefire agreement. All that's coming up next, right here, with Nation of Jake on Tony Katz today. You know, a ceasefire—it always seems like a big relief. Oh, it's a ceasefire. Time out, guys. Time out. Let's let's quit fighting. But you know that it won't last. A, a ceasefire is just for the moment. It's not lasting peace. I don't. I don't think between Israel and. Many of the neighbors over in the Middle East, that uh peace or a long-lasting peace was on the table, even though there were some uh, peace agreements that were well on their way late in the Trump administration. That is just a battle that's been going on forever, and unfortunately, it seems like it's it's going to continue for for as long as as uh, it will allow. And I mean, until there's a, a solution either way, for. The sides to get together and and be okay with each other, mm, it's 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 a tall order. Let's just say that. But there has been a ceasefire. That's uh, big news today. I know that here on Tony Katz today, uh, Tony has been covering this uh, in great detail. And and I'll I'll admit it. Tony probably has a far deeper understanding uh, of Israeli relations with his uh, their Middle Eastern neighbors uh, than do I. I I have I've picked it up over time. Uh, I I used to produce a radio show here. I, I'm the nation of Jake, by the way. I'm Jake. Uh, I'm in for Tony today, this Friday. Uh, Ari Castle is here. So so Ari, you know, you are in depth in the weeds with Tony every day, and I know that Tony has been in deep on on this story on the violence going on over in Israel between Israel and Hamas. Um, but this is the same story, you know, for years and years that I remember covering uh, alongside. Uh, Rusty Humphreys, uh, for whom I worked for a few years, uh, he was very deep into it. He went over to Israel a number of times uh, to kind of get on the ground and kind of see how things were. And through working with him on these shows, you know, I, I learned a lot about the dynamic uh, over there. Uh, I, I'm still no, I'm no expert uh, on on really geopolitics of any kind, but you, you you pick up enough. And what you try to do is you just try to simplify it. I mean, it goes deep and it goes back. A long, long way. And there are a lot of players in this and a lot of variables. Um, But simply put, I I always thought that, you know, when I was a kid, that, okay, you've got Palestinians and you've got Israelis and they're always fighting. They can't be in the same room without fighting and killing each other. It's like an apartheid state and there is no cross-pollination and there is no life over there without just fighting. Now, this is like... When I was in middle school and I just, you know, I had uh, very little understanding of the world and even less interest in what was going on in the Middle East because it doesn't affect your everyday. All right. Until it flares up, then it's headline news and then it's the president's false, no matter who the president is. And it becomes a a burning issue. But this has been going on for a long time. Well, well, what I learned was that's not the case. Uh, It's it's usually political leaders who are spearheading a lot of the fighting. There are uh, extremists on both sides of the conflict. But simply put, I, I, I again, I always thought it was like an apartheid state. It's not. It's not. There are uh, Arab Israelis. There are Jews in Israel. There are citizens who work alongside each other. One of the interviews uh, that my guy Rusty did over in Israel that I remember uh, you know, editing, and so I listened to the interview, uh, a couple of guys who worked together, they were like... They worked for like the electric company. And one guy was was Jewish, and the other guy was Muslim, and they worked together. They rode around in a truck all day together and you know, dug holes and buried cables and unearthed cables and hooked up electricity. And and Rusty was talking to these guys and and they were like, "Oh yeah, look, I I live not far from him. We get together, we work. Uh but we we have different ideas on on how you know, it's it's just like here with people who are on the left, and on the right. They they disagree, uh, but it's their political leaders that that see the value in keeping them divided and getting them riled up against each other. It, it's really similar, um, except there's just a lot more violence over there every so often in the spring. Usually you start getting these rocket attacks. And It was so funny. I, I was I had the opportunity to to go to Israel. I didn't take the opportunity, but I had the offer to go. It wasn't a good time for me to jump on a plane and go to Israel. So I I didn't, I I stayed back at the station and and produced the show from there. Uh, that said, you know, I, I listened to, to these folks talking and I was like, you know, this is, this, this seems like, you know, you being divided and, and manipulated by by uh, leaders. Now, I guess the problem is right now, the closest thing to Palestinian leadership is Hamas, uh, as far as organized leadership. And that's because there's kind of like a leadership vacuum, I guess. And already correct me if I'm speaking out of line in all this, because you have probably, especially recently, you know, uh, been involved in, in producing shows on this topic. But, you know, you've got Hamas, which is recognized as like a legitimate... Palestinian leadership organization, but they're, they're terrorists and have been declared so by the United States. And this isn't like something goofy, like the FBI declaring that juggalos are a gang, you know, something like that. This is the Clinton administration in the nineties said Hamas with their tactics and their agenda. They are a terrorist organization and they're acting like it. They're, they're firing rockets over at Israel Uh, Luckily for Israel, they are able to fend those off with minimal casualties. I think 12 people in the 11 days or two weeks of fighting uh, were were killed in Israel, which it's no consolation to those people who lost their lives and their families. You know, I always hated that. Well, only 12 people died. It's like, yeah, well, are 12 people, uh, real people. And they say, but, uh, but Israel fired back and 230 people died on the other side. And you're like, well, look, they're they're firing rockets, they're defending themselves, they're trying to take out these targets of of terrorist weapons caches and the resources that Hamas uses, and again, I'm very careful to say Hamas, and not just people, because there are people, Arab Israelis, Palestinians, who, they don't want to get caught up in any of this, who who are just not on board, right, who just want to live their lives, and then they don't want to be blown up or even lumped together with a terrorist organization, or like Hamas, right? So Hamas fires some rockets, uh, largely unsuccessful in their attempt to inflict mass casualties and damage. And so Israel responds in kind. Israel's just way better at it, all right? Israel, they, they're they looking to target these rockets. Something like 3,500, 4,000 rockets being, being uh, launched at Israel. Israel responds with an offensive of their own or defense, if you want to call it that. And then they get their hands slapped saying, hey, look, Israel, a little heavy handed there. But now there's this ceasefire. Okay, Israeli leaders have approved a ceasefire to end the nearly two weeks of combat with Hamas, who've been launching the rocket barrages out of the Gaza Strip since last Monday. All right. This is all according to President Biden, who will jump in front of a parade and take credit for it. Uh, U.S. leaders like Joe Biden, I'm sure John Kerry as well, had pressured Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to exercise restraint in the conflict. Imagine that. I mean, really, if you're Benjamin Netanyahu, these guys from Gaza are launching rockets. And in, instead of like going to the guys in Hamas and saying, hey, cut it out, you go to ben- Netanyahu and you say, hey, you need to exercise restraint. Look, I know these guys are annoying and they're they're firing rockets at you. But really, I mean, what are rockets? Rockets are just the language of the unheard. It's kind of the same thing, isn't it? Isn't it? You know, you've got the, the, the Palestinian group, or I should say, I'm sorry, Hamas. Uh, Hamas, which is declared a terrorist organization. Uh, they're the kind of folks who, who say stuff like death to America. Uh, it's really not hard to pick a side in this, for me at least. You've got those folks, and then there's people stateside who will say, well, no, those are an oppressed people. And this is the only way they know how to to get their attention over there in Israel is to fire rockets at them. It's kind of the same thing when we see uh, riots here in the United States. You know, when you see buildings being burned down, people will always uh, cherry pick a quote from MLK and say, well, you know, riots are the language of the unheard. I was like, well, if you read that whole speech by MLK, he still was against it. He still didn't think it was the right course of action. So if you want to transpose that philosophy and say, hey, these folks, these Palestinians, Hamas, they're the, they're the unheard over there. They're not getting what they want. So they're firing rockets, and can you blame them? Yes. Yes. You can always blame people for firing rockets, especially if they're doing it in an offensive way. Not defensive, but in an offensive way. You're trying to surprise, sneak attack people by firing rockets. All right, look, if... If Israel didn't have such a good missile defense system, the old Iron Dome, I mean, it could it could inflict mass casualties. But, you know, fortunately, Israel can defend itself and it should be able to defend itself without, you know, Joe Biden coming in and saying, hey, Benji, you need to be the bigger man here. You, <laughs> what? Imagine that, man. Somebody firing rockets at you and then your ally says, hey, don't 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 let him make you mad. Don't let him see you sweat. Don't respond. Just ignore him. Just ignore them. Just, just nod and smile. Kill them with kindness, Benji. Why don't you just kill them with kindness? That'll work. It's so goofy. But it's, it's, it's kind of simple for me. Um, Israel's an ally. They're not a terrorist organization. Hamas is a terrorist organization. Hamas hangs out with folks who say death to America, if not say that themselves. It's not difficult. It ain't, it ain't hard. All right. Okay. Coming up, we've got uh, plenty more. I mean, that's pretty much all I've got to say. I mean, again, a lot can be said. We could do like a whole show on Israel and Palestine. I'm not the guy to do that show because there's very little to be said outside of uh, what I've already outlined for you. And that's all I got. If you've got anything else on it, if there's something I'm missing, if I'm a total idiot, it's fine. It's fine. Just tweet me tweet me because that's where you go to be mean to people right you just go to twitter and you start firing off whatever you think and then you don't think about the person's feelings on the other side which is which is fortunate because i don't have any no feelings whatsoever um, i do want to get back into this vaccine hesitancy thing how are we doing on herd immunity you know, Before, it was like, no, we can't, we can't even get there. That's impossible. But now, Dr. Fauci says it's possible as long as people go out and get the vaccine. What is the CDC doing or not doing to make sure this happens? And can we avoid this, this second or third surge uh, come the fall? We'll get into that next, right here with Nation of Jake on Tony Katz Today. I got my first shot of the vaccine last week, last Friday, one week ago, I think a couple more weeks, and I go back to get the second dose of the old Pfizer vaccine. I wouldn't normally share my medical information with you, but you know what? Vaccine hesitancy apparently is a thing. There are folks out there who don't want to get the vaccine. I here, Nation of Jake on Tony Katz today, am not going to urge you to get the vaccine. All right, if you don't want it, then don't get it. All right, I, I personally... I see the value in being vaccinated. I kind of trust the process. I think it's fascinating what they've been able to do with this vaccine so quickly. I think that Operation Warp Speed was fantastic. And anybody who sits there and says, oh, yeah, see what happens? The government made this happen. No, 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 no. What happened was Donald Trump allowed the government to do less and therefore, fast track the vaccine, and now we have it. Not only do we have one, we've got two, three, probably four different vaccines that you can choose from. Yeah, you don't want to get two shots; get one shot, like Ari did. Ari got the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. I opted for Pfizer because they were the first to come out, and they're the one with the highest effective rate. All right, so I I waited back until the vaccine was was prominent, was uh, ubiquitous. Uh, you know, at first it was like all oh, people waiting in line. And you're trying to go and, and get a, a vaccine, sneak in, you know, see if they can get a dose that was going to go bad before when it was only, you know, like 70 years old and up could get it. And then so I knew I had people like that, you know, get finding an exception, you know, folks who worked in the medical field. Uh, my wife was one of them. You know, my wife is my age, but she got the vaccine way before I was eligible for it. So, which was great because I got to see if it affected her, maybe turned her into a lizard or or she got microchipped before I went and got that. Everything's been, everything's been good. So I I figured why not? Uh, But I'm not one of these people who's going to vaccine shame you. If you don't want it, don't get it. It it is a shame though, uh, that people will not trust in that process. I mean, because for a long, think about what vaccines have done. Uh, Vaccines have wiped out things like polio, smallpox, whooping cough, measles. People people don't get these diseases anymore because we've got the vaccines. Hell, I was talking earlier about in the 80s when kids would get chicken pox and there was just no avoiding it. Remember that? There was just no, you're going to get it. And if you don't get it, it'll be worse later because as an adult, you'll get shingles. And that's way worse. If you get it when you're a kid, you won't even remember it. You'll itch for a while. We'll dab you with calamine lotion. You'll look like a leopard for a while. And then you'll be fine. You'll never get it again. Well, you know what? My kids never have to go through that. You know why? Because there's a vaccine for it. My kids got the chicken pox vaccine. I didn't hesitate. I'm like, yeah. Give them as many shots as necessary to keep them from suffering or spreading diseases. I mean, for for years and years we did it, but now it's political. Now it's like, nope, 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 nope. Uh, Democrats want me to get a vaccine. Not going to get it. But if the if the tables were turned, as I've said before, and I still believe this, if Donald Trump were president, if he won the election in November and was uh th- they sworn in again, and he was a uh, president uh for a second term, and he was the guy claiming to have help develop a vaccine by breaking down the barriers with operation warp speed. All these Trump supporters would be lined up to get the vaccine. And they would be the ones shaming Democrats who would say, no, I don't want a vaccine that Donald Trump had anything to do with. And, and it's not, it's not a crazy theory. It's it's just, it's simple. I mean, you even had vice president Harris who at the time was uh, Joe Biden's running mate. She, she said, yes, you would be hesitant to take a vaccine that Donald Trump was involved with. Yeah. And everybody laughed at Donald Trump, by the way. Remember this? Remember this? Donald Trump, during a debate, was saying, this vaccine is very close to being ready. And we're going to get it out early next year. And by April, you know, there there's enough vaccines for everybody. And then if you read back at the headlines, it was like, Donald Trump, without evidence, says the vaccine will be uh, ubiquitous by by April. It'll be everywhere. Well, but because he said it, and he is a... Uh, unsavory character to a lot of people that no, no, he was either lying. He said it without evidence, or if he has anything to do with it, I won't take it. And I guarantee you, if Donald Trump were president, it'd be the opposite. Trump supporters would not be vaccine hesitant. It'd be the Democrats that were, it'd be the opponents of Trump who would be saying, no science be damned, not getting that vaccine because Trump's name is on it. Fight me. What do you want to I'm, I'm 100% convinced of that. It is too bad, though. We don't have, like, an Elvis Presley. You know what Elvis Presley, what? He went out and got the polio vaccine and, like, that helped rates of vaccination shoot up. Imagine having so. Who would be that person? That's what I want to know. Who is the person who is so universally loved that they could go on TV and get the vaccine and people would line up to get it? Ari, any... any Candidates for that? Guy Fieri. You think, oh, you know what? That is a good one. That's a great one, man. A couple years ago, I would have said, no way. But Guy Fieri, his, his, his image has been rehabbed. Huge. Guy Fieri was the butt of a lot of jokes. There was a comedian who I think kind of started the rehab of Guy Fieri. Uh, but, but now Guy Fieri, through all his uh, efforts to raise money for the restaurant industry... He's like genuinely a beloved dude. I mean, I don't know if he has the kind of sway to to get everybody to go out and, and get a vaccine. Uh, but I'm I'm trying to think. It's very difficult. It used to be, hey, Elvis would go out, you know, like uh, maybe Johnny Carson would be a guy. The Rock. The Rock. Andy Griffith was that guy for a long time, you know. Everybody loved Andy Griffith. I mean, you got to have somebody for seniors. And that was old Matlock he'd go out and andy Andy Taylor, Sheriff of Mayberry, he could do it. The Rock Dwayne Johnson would be good. You know sitting here thinking about who would be a great spokesperson for vaccine awareness or to get the vaccine drive. Out there, get people to sign up and get shots. You know, back in the day, it was Elvis Presley. I think the story somehow went that Elvis Presley went on TV, got his polio vaccine, and then vaccination rates shot through the roof. Like, within a a week, 80% of people were vaccinated because Elvis did it. Unfortunately, there's really nobody who has that kind of influence uh, at all. Yeah, because in that, that goes, there's a there's a lot to that. I mean, we I talk about it a lot uh, on my Twitter account, and, uh, on my old radio show, uh, Nation of Jake in here for Tony Katz, uh, about the generational deal. Like, you know, back in the day, you only had a few different channels on TV and radio. So everybody was experiencing the same thing. I mean, you had limited choices. So everybody kind of experienced everything together. And that kind of continued until... The internet took over everything, and now everybody can just go and, and get whatever niche, a corner of the internet they want. That's why you have like people who are YouTube stars that that have billions of followers. It seems, and and nobody knows who they are. Like nobody that I know knows who they are because everybody is just kind of compartmentalized. You know, whether it's a, a generational thing or just a niche kind of thing. Um, but it used to be where hey. Everybody liked Elvis. Let's put Elvis on TV. Everybody watches TV. We'll put them on all the channels and the news will cover it. Everybody will see it. They love Elvis. Everybody wants to be like Elvis and they'll go get the shot. And I guess the last person like that was Michael Jordan. Everybody wanted to be Michael Jordan. Be like Mike. Gatorade had an entire uh, uh, ad campaign about it. Be like Mike. Everybody wanted to be like Mike. Generation of kids wanted to be Michael Jordan. For a while, they want to be Michael Jackson until later. Then they're like, no, no, I'm not into that at all. So trying to find somebody with that kind of uh, influence is very difficult in 2021. And I was trying to put together a list. Uh, Ari Castle, producer of Tony Katz today, you had a a pretty good suggestion in Guy Fieri. I, I mean, I think Guy Fieri is a pretty likable dude. I'm not so sure he has the sway to get most people to go out and get vaccinated. You would think that it would be somebody like a Ryan Seacrest, right? I don't know why, but like the powers that be, they think we love Ryan Seacrest. You would think that Ryan Seacrest was in like super huge demand, but I'm not so sure that's the case. I think that Ryan Seacrest has just made himself available to do all this stuff and people are familiar with him and he doesn't really offend anybody. He's just kind of like that guy that you can ignore and forget about after. So that's why that's what his talent is. I, th- I think that we've been through this before already. I'm getting a deja vu kind of feel. We, we've talked about either Ryan Seacrest or, or, or that 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 quality in people where uh, they're funny, but they don't make you laugh. Kind of like the Ocean's Eleven thing with Linus being explained to by Rusty about going in. You know, the whole deal. So, I mean, Ryan Seacrest is probably who the corporate suits would pick to try to get people to get over their vaccine hesitancy. Um, personally, I would love to see some sort of public service announcement or, or really hear it from Christopher Walken. You know, he's a guy who I pretty much idolize. I wish I was Chris Walken and it, the dude could convince me to do anything. He could, he could talk me into a reverse mortgage and I'm almost certain that he should be the next reverse mortgage guy. He should be the guy to, to get a vaccine. Coronavirus would be a thing of the past. You get vaccinated. Do it. Uh, Gary Busey, another one that I would—I'd rush out. I'd get that shot right in my jugular if Gary Busey told me to. I'd be so amped up, run through a wall for Gary Busey. Uh, but I'm thinking also Ted Lasso, uh, Jason Sudeikis as Ted Lasso, convincing people to get vaccinated. I think that would be a great campaign to increase the numbers because look, Dr. Fauci says, and whether or not you believe him, he says 70% of people need to get the vaccine. And we are well short of that. But 70% is the number to avoid uh, another surge. Um, more than likely, though, these, these spokespeople, they're going to have to come from all different areas, you know, some from Hollywood, some from music, some from Nashville. some you know, everywhere uh, from From sports, you know, and even now, even like going back to it, even now there's, it's difficult to come up with a universally beloved sports icon. I mean, it would have to be somebody from the past. It would have to be Michael Jordan because now all these guys either have gotten political like LeBron James has ruined his chance at mass appeal. He really has by getting all political. No, he's one of the best to ever play the game, if not the best ever, to to take the court in the NBA, and probably half of people don't care about anything he says. In fact, he infuriates people, because he's he's always bloviating about stuff he doesn't know about, and, and stepping on his tongue when he does it. And so, LeBron James is out, he can't be the guy. I tried to look to Major League Baseball, but... You know, the the best player in Major League Baseball is Mike Trout. And Mike Trout plays on the West Coast. He plays for the Angels. And nobody can watch the Angels. Because most of the country goes to sleep before their games even start. Hell, I live on the East Coast, and I watch the Braves in my own time zone. And those games are too late. And baseball's got a problem with that. And there's Fernando Tatis Jr. for Major League Baseball, but again, a West Coast guy, and I don't I don't think that he's going to really convince people to get the vaccine. I'll tell you who's not going to. That's A-Rod. You know, you think about some of the the greats all time, A-Rod, man, could have been one of the all-time great pitchmen. Uh, but now you know what he's pitching instead? Ari Castle. You, do you know what A-Rod has gotten himself into? Uh not Jennifer Lopez anymore. <laughs> Alex Rodriguez is launching A line of makeup for men. Man makeup. mm. The former baseball pro. He's only 45 years old. He has a lot of life to live. And I'm not sure he'll live this down in his next 40 years. He's teamed up with a company called Him and Hers. This beauty and wellness company uh, that he invested in uh, with his then girlfriend, Jennifer Lopez, to develop the brand's first makeup for men. Uh, I wanted to create a product that solved an issue I faced every day. I realized as I was jumping from meeting to meeting, I needed something quick and easy in my routine to conceal blemishes or razor bumps, according to A-Rod. That's amazing. This guy is one of the greatest sluggers in Major League history. And he's worried about his makeup, his complexion, when he goes in and out of business meetings. Can you imagine for a second, Ted Williams, the splendid splinter himself, worrying about his complexion? Could you imagine Babe Ruth, like worrying if he had a pimple when he went to a business meeting or did anything at all after his playing days? Could you imagine the all-time hits leader, Peter Edward Rose? Ever wearing makeup, unless he was on television doing analysis or something like that for the lights. Like I don't, I don't blame dudes for wearing makeup if they're you know getting lights shown all getting washed out by TV lights. That's that's part of it. That's that's part of the business. But when you're just going to meetings and you're worried, I got to jump from meeting to meeting. Oh, I've got these, I've got these unsightly bumps on my jawline. I've got to cover them up with some concealer. That's weird. Um, I don't know who is handling the publicity for A-Rod, but the fact that he is selling makeup for men, that just seems like ill-advised, both a bad business plan and also for his personal brand. Plus, the only man makeup that should exist is Juggalo makeup, ICP. And before them kiss, you know, black and white cream makeup. And you have to fashion it in the, in the shape of like a demon, or the spaceman, or the cat, you know, or a star on your eye, like Paul Stanley, or just like straight up copy Violent J and Shaggy Two Dope from ICP. That's man makeup, and I'm, I'm I'm speaking this language right now. And Ari Castle is like, what are you talking about? So now, and I'm I'm just gonna go ahead and guess, uh, Ari, you're not a juggalo, are you? Not anymore. Not anymore. It used to be, huh? Well, back in my back in my early twenties, did did listen? Did the whole FBI thing declaring them a gang scare you off? It was it was a different time, Jake. It was a different time when when Ari was a juggalo. I don't believe it for a second because uh, I don't I don't I don't embarrass you, Ari. But this whole Metallica thing has really gotten it's got in my brain. I, I I do want to talk about this. I'm not I'm not going to bust you too hard on it, but Ari, you don't you you don't know any Metallica, do you? I know of them. you know of them, but you don't know Metallica. Like, if we sat there and I said, hey, Ari, I want to debate on the best Metallica album, could you name one? No, of course not. You can't name a Metallica album. Okay, look, I get it. I get it. If you're not into it, you're not, you like what you like. I'm not judging. It's just, from my perspective, as being like a young Gen Xer, old millennial type, a millen- they're one of the biggest bands in the world to a guy my age, and I know that you're not my age, right? But they kept making music for 20 years. They're still making music. And you're largely unfamiliar with Metallica. Again, it's like A-Rod ruining this personal brand. I'm not blaming you, Ari. I'm blaming Metallica on this. I'm blaming them for not doing enough Ari outreach. It's a pretty uh, specific criticism. Yeah, you know what? It's true. It's true, though. You you should know. You should be more Metallica aware, but it's not your fault, my man. It's, it's not your fault. Uh, okay, look. We're, we're going to wrap things up. It's getting off the rails a little bit, but I expected this. Okay? A uh, Friday... On short notice, I get a call from old Tony saying, hey, I need you in on Friday. And I say, you know how I feel about working on Fridays? I get loopy. And and he said, I don't care. I don't care what you do when I'm gone. And that's why I respect the hell out of Tony. He's he's a man who can trust. Okay? Uh, we, we will wrap things up with a few more thoughts on uh, Israel and Palestine, uh, critical race theory and the whole uh, whiteness founded America and, and maybe even some more on metallica and i want to get to a few tweets i've gotten a little interaction on twitter some people who have taken exception and largely agreed with with some of the uh the, the points that i've made today so we will wrap things up and uh and get to it uh, right here with nation of jake on tony Katz today